Five, four, three, two, one. We're in the pipe. Five by five. This is the Five on Film podcast. Hello and welcome to Five on Film, the podcast where we try and break down the top five in the world of film. I'm your host, Paul. Joining us this week is John. Who loves you, baby? Matt. Hi, guys. Tony. Did a fire six, six shots or any five? <laughs> and Chris. I can't think of a quote relevant. <laughs> That's the best one. Um, so this week we are going to be talking about cop thrillers, um, law enforcement thrillers. We've we've had uh, many a discussion on um, the definition of the word cop. Um, Tony, you kind of came up with the idea for this one. Uh, why are we talking cop thrillers? Um, I think cop thrillers, um, particularly um, children of the 70s, 80s. There's no 90s children here, are there? No, there isn't. No. <laughs> uh, good. <laughs> Sorry. Um, Millennials all the way, baby. Yeah, <laughs> my, my, my... I'm Gen X just, so, um, <laughs> um, and my 90s girlfriend will hit me for that. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, it's kind of like, I, I perhaps I'm wrong, but uh, part of growing up in the 70s and 80s is watching cop thrillers. Yeah. Um, and, um, yeah, we originally uh, kind of uh, banded around the idea of doing dirty cops. But I felt it would be more personally interesting to me that it was kind of law enforcement thrillers. What are the best ones? Um, but didn't include action films, which maybe could be seen as as thrillers, such as Lethal Weapon or Die Hard, and more, uh, or Speed. Even um, people talked about all brilliant films, but more um, less on the action and more on the thrilling. Yes. Yes. Okay, so we're going for thrillers, and uh, this week we're going to start out with Matt. And Matt, your number five film, which is available yes. on Prime Video. What do you have at number five? I'm going to bang in with uh, an early 2000s, 2001, Antoine Fuqua, if that's how you pronounce it. Yeah. Uh, I hate to make it incorrect, but um, Training Day, Denzel Washington and uh, Ethan Hawke fantastic cop thriller it's um script by david ayer who uh um, went on to do his own bit of directing as well uh, am i right in saying that he directed end of watch which also he did could, yes could have made this list that also mm -hmm. kind of encompassed this which is a very good movie and fury as well which is a world war world war ii movie uh tank movie but antoine Foucault, uh and i've got to be very careful of pronouncing that name <laughs> Um, directed this and it is uh, it's a tremendous uh, entry in the early noughties movies um, you've got Denzel Washington playing Alonzo Harris he's a, uh, a chief detective sergeant in the special narcotics task force in the LAPD and uh, Ethan Hawke is a rookie uh, officer coming through and he's been selected by Alonzo Harris to join the squad um, for differing reasons which we we find out later on in the movie um it's it's a bit of a, a two-hander it's ethan Hawke, denzel washington um denzel washington's performance he, he won an oscar for this um it's it's a very dualistic performance almost like a bit of a subtle kind of 
embodiment of almost like a, a modern day Jekyll and Hyde. You know, you don't know whether he's he's charismatic or whether he's threatening or whether he's charming or whether he's malevolent. Um, you know, he, he really, really pushes the boundaries of, um, you know, complex characters in this. And quite rightly so, he, he won an Oscar for it. Um, the cast is fantastic. You've got Scott Glenn, who's he's a brilliant uh, uh, character actor who, who turns up in a lot of TV and a lot of movies. You'd recognise him. He plays the ex-cop who turns into um, a bit of a notorious dealer um, uh, in one of the famous scenes in this film. You've got Eva Mendes in this as well. Lots of other uh, quite famous actors in it as well. Um, uh, I'd like to say that it's it's a it could have been a bit of a generic cop movie, but it's elevated because of the the two fantastic central performances from Denzel Washington and Ethan Hawke. Um, I think the 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 characterization in the script. Um, I'm not sure who. Uh, yeah, David A. wrote the script, and it's. I think the character development is is so good because what we're seeing with Denzel Washington is is he's not a conflicted character. He's a character who is is quite one dimensional, but at the same time, we're never given that one dimension. He he allows us to see this other side of himself a lot throughout the film. Like I said, he's a bit of a Jekyll and Hyde character, um, and almost Ethan Hawke as this rookie cop coming through uh, as a youngster, um, not that much younger than Denzel Washington, but as a youngster. Um, he he's kind of what Denzel Washington was when Denzel Washington first perhaps was like that when he first joined the force. And you can see how the environment of the L.A. street scene has changed Denzel Washington. And it's a thriller to the point of being, you know, a classic whodunit. You know, we don't know exactly what's going to happen till right right to the end. It's got a bit of a kind of flip flop ending. If you ask me, it's a bit kind of hinged on the beginning I don't want to spoil it. There's there's a bit that happens at the beginning that that ties in right at the end, and it's a bit kind of oh wow really. Um, but at the same time, there's great cinematography. The soundtrack's fantastic. Um, the setting is all location based in LA. It's fun. It, it's really really good. It's very authentic. Um, yeah, I love it. I think it's you know uh, evidence of how environment can corrupt somebody. Um, yeah, genuinely really, really good movie. Everyone said it's a set over 24 hours as well, so it's quite snippy, quite fast. Although it's a relatively long movie, it's, it's very good. Uh, if, if you haven't already seen it, please try and watch it. It's great. Tony, uh, training day didn't make your list. Um, wasn't a fan of it, quite frankly. No? I'm sorry, okay, <laughs> sorry, Matt. Um, all right. Um, I mean, Denzel Washington, you know, one of the greatest actors of uh, uh living actors, I would say. Um, just didn't resonate me really in any way. Um, I think okay. perhaps it's one of those films I need to watch again and I might change my mind about it, but um, it wouldn't have come close to my top 20. Okay. I'm not a big uh, David Ayer fan of his writing, actually. So. Okay. Yeah. Um, John, uh, Training Day, do anything for you? Um. Yeah, um, I no, this is actually one of the ones that I haven't managed to get around to watching, unfortunately. Okay, well, John needs to check it out on Prime Video, yeah. Um, and Chris, training day. Um, I, I liked it. Um, I, I don't know, I, I struggle with it. I, I enjoy Denzel Washington when he's a good guy and uh, when he plays a good guy, yeah. Um, he was but that's really, always he always plays good guys well, I, I know I know and he's really really nasty in this film um, so maybe that's why it, it's just 
Yeah, okay. and it's credit to his acting, you know, he can can convey that. Yeah, I mean, I I I really like the film, um, and I think it's definitely worth watching. Um, I think that it was weird. Uh, I think Denzel did a better acting performance the year before and should have won an Oscar for The Hurricane the year before. And I think this was a semi makeup Oscar um, because a lot of people think Ooh. he deserved. Yeah, that, in a way, the, the Academy. No, no, I get, like I get you. Yeah, I get yeah, you. yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, they do things I think the Hurricane was a better film, and I think it was a better acting performance, which doesn't mean that he didn't deserve this one. But um, I think that um, the, the the one he gave the year before was more impressive, which is ultimately why he definitely got this one, even though it was a very very good performance. Um, but I, I mean, this isn't actually his. First, this isn't actually his first um, grey gray cop either i mean if you uh one of his earlier roles was the mighty quinn which is where he's set on a caribbean island and yeah. he's uh he's a bit he's a bit very gray in that as a character okay. Okay. so um i mean you can see in this film you can see where he's come from and how he's been changed by being a cop over the last 20 years and how he's become corrupt. I mean, I don't want to spoil it, but you know, that's how that is. You can tell that from the beginning. He, he makes Ethan Hawke smoke PCP, right? Yeah. And you know, he puts him in these situations where he's always challenging and you never know whether he's doing it genuinely or whether he isn't. And that's what that, that kind of pulls me into it, I think. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I did enjoy it. And uh, it would be a recommendation from me, but it's not one that resonated with everybody. That's cool. Um, that's cool. John, you've got... Um... What I would call, someone would say a classic at your number five. Um, so, John, your number five is? My number five is in with a bullet. Um, Steve Steve McQueen oozing all sorts of cool in all sorts of uh, knitwear, um, driving around in a, um, uh, what is it, a Ford, a Ford Mustang Fastback. GT Fastback. Uh, ch chasing, GT chasing GTOs. Uh, around the streets Dodge of San Challenger. Francisco. Oh yeah, sorry, Dodge Charger. Um, around the streets of uh, San Francisco. Um, and one of the things, watching the ten-minute documentary on YouTube about it, they had free reign of San Francisco because wow. the mayor uh, wanted more people to come and film there. So they, every single set is a real place, and they got awesome. twenty blocks. Uh, uh, locked down so they could do the car chase in the middle. Now, everyone seems to think, I uh, remember this film for the car chase itself. Um, it is one of the longest car chases um, ever put to film, but it starts off real slow and it's real suspenseful. And then they, they put the foot to the floor um, and um, they, they, they bomb around the GTO loses four, uh, six hubcaps um in in the pursuit um but the film the film itself uh steve mcqueen is playing a uh long-term hard-boiled cop who loses a major mob witness uh and has to um who then has to work out what's gone on and why and um there's twists and turns um but it's um thing his girlfriend, who's an architect, um, ends up taking him uh, f uh, to one of one of the crime scenes, and basically says, "You you live in the gutter. Um, I don't know if I can deal with this." And thing, and it's all played really, really real and 
moody and it, it just feels it feels like one of the, one of the one of the best examples of Steve McQueen on film and also um as a real as a good cop film um just one last fact and this may come up in other films uh, when we talk about other films Steve McQueen's character is based on the same character as Dirty Harry uh the same person as Dirty Harry wow. was and Mark Ruffalo plays him in Zodiac. Oh. Yes, I did know that. I knew I knew the connection between um, Dirty Harry and Mark Ruffalo, but I didn't know there was a connection between uh, yes. Steve McQueen. So, so awesome. basically they're all representations. Wow. Sort of of the same character. Eastwood okay. wore it best, in my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, maybe, maybe. Um, Chris, uh, Bullet then, are you a fan? I love Bullet. I'm a huge Steve McQueen fan um i and i'm a huge car fan as well uh so yeah it's a great combination and it is a really cool film steve probably steve mcqueen's coolest film um and yeah he he knows how to rock has it aged well is the question for anybody who's trying to come on thinking about watching this now a lot of 60s films and 70s films don't age very well and we we could we could bring up the french connection which i'm probably assuming none of us none of us are going to bring up because it's it's aged terribly another great car chase um yeah uh same same stunt driver uh um yeah has it aged well no no it has not it's very slow even the car chase is slow um and just uh from a technical point of view from a car fan's point of view that dodge charger the baddies dodge charger wouldn't stand a chance that that okay. ford mustang would run rings around it okay tony uh bullet is it uh one for you or not I've got two things to admit. First, when uh, John said In With a Bullet by, with Steve McQueen, I actually thought that was the title of the film. I was like, I haven't seen that one. <laughs> <laughs> and then when my naivety yeah. faded, I realised he meant bullet. I was like, oh, yeah. Um, I just remember the car chase and Steve McQueen is the king of cool, but he leaves me feeling cold. Yeah. yeah. Um, so... I can see why it's iconic, but it's not for me. No, I mean, I have to admit, I, I, I've only watched it once, and maybe that is something, and I, it, was, it would have been a long while ago, so I can't remember a great deal about it, but, but I remember it, watching it because I felt I should watch it, and then not really getting why I should watch it, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, 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 I do remember the car chase being well done, um, uh, but um, yeah, it was just one of those where uh, maybe it was. I was probably twenty when I watched it, and uh, watching a slower um, film um, in terms of its pacing, um, yeah, maybe just didn't grab me. I don't know. So, so just, maybe I just one la- just one last point. Yeah, the reason that Peter Yates was chosen to direct the film by uh, Stephen McQueen's company is because Stephen McQueen had watched. Um, a film where he directed a 15 minute car chase around the streets of London the year before. Okay. So, well, but it was uh, John's number five. Um, and we're actually going to roll to me next um, and my number five, um, which I'm, I'm, I'm going to say that I'm, uh, I'm pushing the limits ever so slightly of cop thriller. Um, 
I'm going to push it, but I'm pushing it. Um, I think with good reason because um, my my story centers around um, an undercover cop. I'm going to say um, set in the, the late seventies, um, FBI agent going undercover in a crime family. Um, the movie okay. is Donnie Donnie okay. Brasco. Yeah, I mean the movie is I would say a crime movie rather than a cop movie, but he is a cop and he is a cop at the center of this. Um, Johnny Depp playing uh, the central character of Donnie Brasco um, alongside um, Lefty played by Al Pacino. Um, it's about him going undercover in the mob. It is loosely based on a true story. And for me, it's just, um, it's it's the best, probably the best undercover film made um, for me, I think. Um, someone someone can can debate that i don't know um it's definitely up there um i think that um al pacino is brilliant i think johnny depp um is one of his finest performances um and i think mike Neal just made an excellent cop slash crime thriller um michael madsen is scary in this movie um and yeah it, it's it's a uh, a harsh look at um the realities of going undercover, what it can do to you, how it can change you, and then um, how you can somehow feel sympathy for gangsters um, in in Lefty's character in Al Pacino. Um, I think it's uh, it's well worth the watch and is one of the best cop thrillers going. Um, Matt, Donny Rasco. I agree. I agree. This is my number. This if if we were having a top ten, this is my number seven. Um, it's an absolute banger, and I think it's um, you know the, the, go back to training day again. You could say that that Denzel Washington, you know, corrupted by the streets. You could say Johnny Depp, corrupted by the uh, in a better way by by being part of the uh, the gangster family. In my in in my opinion, it's probably one of the the, the most underrated cop gangster movies. Uh, not a lot of people have seen it. Not a lot of people know about it. It really does go under the radar, and that's such a shame because it's an absolute classic as far as I'm concerned. It really is that good. Okay. Uh, Tony, Donnie Brasco, do anything for you? Um, bluntly, no. Um, okay. I've seen it, but I literally <laughs> can't remember one scene from it. <laughs> wow. Okay. Uh, so, okay. Uh, yeah. It, well, um, it, it didn't. It clearly didn't resonate with me. No, no. It's uh, available until to you rent. mentioned it. I forgot Al Pacino was even in it. Wow. Um, oh, it's available to rent on character. Amazon and Apple. Um, so if you do fancy checking it out again, it is on Amazon and Apple. Um, John, Donny Brasco. Yeah, no, I thought it was. Uh, I thought it was very good. Um, in the same way as I like Brian Cranston in The Infiltrator. Um, they're both undercover cops. Uh, they both got fa- they've both got family issues. Um, and yeah, I, I. Yeah, good film. Nice one, Chris. Donny Brasco. I know you only watched it relatively recently. Yeah, I did. Um, I was very late to the party. Um, I really enjoyed it. I, I was surprised, like Matt said, it kind of slipped under a lot of people's radar, including mine. And I was pleasantly surprised. I thought it was very tense. Um, and that that scene in the the bar where it kind of all goes south, and you can just see. Uh, Al Pacino kind of his character reading the room and and realizing that and you just yeah it's you get sucked in and it's really good yeah 
Okay. Um, so that's Donnie Brasco. That was my number five. Um, Tony, we're coming round to you next. Um, and it's actually your number four that uh, you're going to lead off with. So your number four, I can I can help you out. It stars Kevin Costner. <laughs> ah, okay. The Untouchables. Yes. Yes. I thought um, you were going to say The Postman. No. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm going to just say The Postman. It's a good film. And it wasn't that bad. It's good I liked it. It's a good film. Honestly, you heard it here first. That's three out of yeah. five already. Yeah. yeah. I preferred it to Waterworld because I fell asleep. It was one of only two times I've fallen asleep in the cinema at Waterworld. And the wow. second was another nautical-themed film, Finding Nemo. Oh, wow. Okay. Oh, fell asleep. You know, it, it's the motion of the ocean, mate. That's well. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly. Anyway, um, How did you fare with Speed 2? <laughs> I felt like going to sleep would be a better use of my time. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So the Untouchables. Um, I uh, excuse any mispronunciation of names. So directed by Brian De Palma, right? That's how you yes. Yes. Um, iconic music from um, Ennio Morricone. Morricone. Um. Uh, it drips in style, and uh, Sean Connery deserved a Best Supporting Actor Oscar for his role as the Scottish-sounding Irish cop. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, yeah, love this film. Um, it's sweet and brutal at the same time. Um, it um, takes um, the the scene in the... Um, at the end of the film with the um the pram going down the stairs stolen from battleship Potemkin. Um but uh Brian Depar apparently shot that uh without really much of a plan uh because the uh the scene that was originally written by um David Mamet who wrote the screenplay for it um was too expensive to film so he was he just Brian Depar wrote generic you know, he said, just give me some stairs in a train station, a clock and a pram. Nice. And he's over six days. He shot that scene, which even though it's a homage to Batship Potemkin is an iconic scene and full of tension. It runs for nine minutes long and you only see the bad guy six minutes into it. Yeah. the <laughs> You know, he loves Brian department, loves a bit of um, department, loves a bit of um, the old uh, Hitchcock tension. He uh, does. He does, yes. I just think all the actors fire on all cylinders. Um, you know, the four untouchables, Kevin Costner, Charles Martin Smith, yeah. uh, Andy Garcia. Yes. Andy Garcia and Kevin Costner kind of made their name in this film and went on to, well, Kevin Costner, certainly bigger and better things. Um, but I find the actors in this film, whether it's Nitty the bad guy or um, Robert De Niro, they're not in it very much. No. But, um, you hate the bad guys because they're so good at being bad, and the good guys, um, without giving spoilers away, when death hits, it hurts the audience, and you feel, yeah, that because you feel yeah. like you've become part of the untouchables. Mm -hmm. Um, great cinematography, and um, yeah, I think, I think I'm done, boys. Nice, well, um. It, believe it or not, this didn't make anybody else's list, but um, I think it's a brilliant film. Uh, Matt, The Untouchables? 
Yeah, absolute Stone Cold classic. I, I love it. I, uh, I, the music for me is absolutely stunning. I'm just checking out who did the cinematography. I thought it was uh, the Italian cinematographer, Vittorio Dante Storaro. Spinotti. But it's, it, but yeah, or, or him. He was the other one. But it's not. It's neither of them. It's some guy I've never, never heard of. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, there's some classic scenes. There's a classic scene in the warehouse. There's the scene, which we don't want to mention without spoilers, with uh, uh, Sean Connery. And... Uh, Charles Martin Smith, man, he's in a lot of stuff in the late 80s and early 90s. He's the guy that you always spot with the little, like the, the, the little circular glasses. He's in everything. And he's just like the understated uh, character actor in this, this movie. I love Kevin Costner. Like he's one of my favorite actors. And I don't care what people say. As we just mentioned earlier about uh, The Postman, like Dance of the Wolves, like Wyatt Earp, or any of his films I will watch. I don't care what anyone says. They're all brilliant. Um, and this one as well. And what makes oh, yeah. Robert De Niro so good in this is the fact he is hardly in it, but when he is in it, it is a brutal scene. Um, I probably won't, I, I, I won't ruin it, but it's brutal and it doesn't last very long, but it's, it, you know, it stands out and it makes you think, wow, he made an impact. And, you know, that's what Brian <laughs> De Palma put him in there for. Well, exactly. He made an impact. Yeah. Um, and Brian's apartment loves an homage, right? He just loves an homage. He does it in every single movie he makes. And um, in his heyday, Brian De Palma was one of what uh, an individual director all on his own, to be honest. And he made those movies, and I watched them because it was Brian De Palma. And I knew what I was getting. Unfortunately, he doesn't really make movies anymore. But you know, this one is a prime example of that. Indeed, um, Chris. Yeah, I, I love the Untouchables. Um, it just it was just outside my top five. Yeah, I was umming and eyeing, and uh, as enjoyable as it is, I think there are just slightly. Well, um, I guess it's a, a kind of a, a more classic film, isn't it? It was kind of put together in a more um, traditional Hollywood style, whereas the other films on my list are kind of a lot more modern feeling. And kind of when I play films back in my head, I think, oh, okay, which one kind of ranks higher in this in this subject that we're doing? Um, yeah. So that's that's why it just didn't make it for me. That's all. Go on, Tang. Just a quick thing. Um, it's not very historically accurate because Kevin Costner's character and Al Pacino never met in real life. It is, it is heavily fictional. And now my girlfriend's back, so I'm just going to say hello to her. <laughs> yes. Um, John? <laughs> no, he doesn't want to say hello. <laughs> Untouchables. Um, yeah. Um, good performances all round. Um, I I don't know why this isn't higher, but it is a, it is a good film. Brian De Palma is a great director. Um, everybody's, as Matt says, everyone's firing on every cylinder and it looks great. And uh, the Odessa Steps is a tremendous sequence by Sergei Eisenstein. Nice. Um, <laughs> well, believe it or not, you, you can watch I've had this. to watch. I've had to watch that film. I am going to bring it up. <laughs> <laughs> um, Paramount Plus. You can watch this. The home of Kevin Costner. Um, he, he, is it? He's on there it with is, his Yellowstone yeah. universe. Yellowstone, um, yeah. Uh, so um, The Untouchables is available on Paramount Plus for anybody who um, who is subscribing can check it out there. 
Have you looked at whether any other yeah, uh, Kevin has he got a, like a, a particular kind of contract? I would imagine. Him? I would imagine there is a category just for uh, yeah. for Kevin Costner at Paramount. I, I, I think he. I think he. I think he gets on well with the uh, with the uh, the Mountain Vish Studio there. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, Matt, we're round to you, and Matt, I'm afraid this is also on Prime Video. So you're, you're liking you're, if you're a Prime uh, subscriber, you've uh, you've got some choices from Matt here. Um, yeah, this on, is good. Not on anybody else's list. What? I oh, know, Matt. I'm sorry. I'm <laughs> shocked, man. I'm uh, shocked. But I'm terribly go for shocked. It. What is your number four, dudes? What are you? What are you? Oh, this is. This is. I think this is. Um, this is David. You know, if David Fincher hadn't made Seven, this would be his masterpiece, right? Zodiac, 2007. Zodiac. David Fincher directing. Script by uh, James Vanderbilt. And that is important because I've never heard of this guy, James Vanderbilt. I've never heard of him before. I Iron Man Three. Is that? Is it? Do you write that? I think he did. Is he write for that? Which, which, you know, Iron Man Three. Okay, Iron Man Three. Shame but Black, it's not. It's Spider Man Three. Spider Man Three. Oh, Spider Man Three. Oh God. Oh God. Well, that's a terrible <laughs> script. So it's just a terrible movie. Um, anyway, the script for this is absolutely bang on. It's really, really, really good. Um, and yes, it's. Uh, let me start from the beginning. Zodiac is, I'll try and be as super quick because I know this is only my second one. Zodiac is based on the infamous serial killer Zodiac who uh, um, uh, uh, killed in uh, a serialistic manner through the late 1960s, early 1970s in Southern and Northern California. Um, and it's probably the most infamous, infamous serial killer left um, next to perhaps Jack the Ripper. Um, who is yet to be unmasked uh, and it's uh, um, a case that is still open no one has ever been um, convicted or even charged with these murders and they've even got Jack the Ripper they haven't they like almost 99% found Jack the Ripper the guy I mean I don't follow this but apparently they I still, did read something yes. they still yeah. have um, they still have theories as to who it is yeah, uh, I mean, they can't point, be 100% sure. To the point where Patricia Cornwell leaves it to be an artist who, who was in London right. and bought his paintings to try and get his DNA off. I've got a story right. there. I went to her book launch because my ex-girlfriend um, did illustrations for her book cover. So I saw her. Oh, yeah. I met her for that book and we did an interview with her. Wow. Oh, wow, this is a good connection. I like this. This is a great <laughs> connection. If you're playing the uh, shots game at home, that's one <laughs> shot for an ex-girlfriend reference. <laughs> also, just, just to make everyone aware, we're talking about Jack the Ripper here. Jack the Ripper <laughs> is almost 99% solved, let's say. Zodiac. But the Zodiac Killer is not, right? It remains one of the most infamous unsolved murder serial killers uh, ever. So anyway, this movie is based on that. Uh, it's got Jake Gyllenhaal playing Robert Graysmith, uh, of whom the book uh, that the film is based upon uh, is written by. And he was with the San Francisco Chronicle as a cartoonist in the 1970s. And he was a bit of an amateur sleuth. Um, so it's based on real events, clearly. Um, it is supposed to have been as highly accurate as possible, um, as much as you can say that for any movie. Um, but I take that as quite gospel with the david fincher movie um 
You've also got Robert Downey Jr. is Paul playing Paul Avery. He is the crime editor for the San Francisco Chronicle. You've got Mark Ruffalo, the aforementioned uh, detective, as we mentioned earlier on, who um, Inspector David Tucci, Tosci, who uh, a Dirty Harry was based on, and as I've just found out, um, who's the other guy? Uh, uh, the, bullet. the bullet. The bullet. I don't know the character, but the the the, the character from Bullet. Um, so Mark Ruffalo's in it as well, and they're obviously Marvel alumni, right? I I put you know you've got loads of other people. You've got Anthony Edwards from ER. You've got Brian Cox, who's a fantastic British actor from uh, um, the Succession TV show, <laughs> Succession the TV show, yeah, and Manhunter uh, playing uh, uh, what's his name, um, who might come up later. Uh, Chloe Sevigny, and uh, anyway, so they're the actors it's it's a three-hander basically it's mike ruffalo it's jake gillenthal and it's robert downey jr and you're over the course of 10 15 years um jake gillenthal is the cartoonist who is an amateur sleuth and he has the zodiac codes and this is what's great about the direction in the movie the first scene is uh, a murder in the 90, late 1960s of two uh teenagers one is an older woman who is uh, still a teenager in her early 20s who is dating a younger uh, man and uh, it's christmas in the 19 late 1960s and they get gunned down in the most brutal style and it's shocking and it hits you and it's like christ this is how the film is going to go and then it switches and we get all this 1970s music early late 60s early 70s music and we're following this kind of like letter envelope uh, through the post office, dropping it off at the the San Francisco Chronicle, and we're following the the, the letter, and we're also following Jake Gyllenhaal, uh, it being introduced to his character, and it's intercut between those two things for the, about ten minutes, and we're following the letter as it goes through the mail room and up to the offices, through the floors and up to the editor, and we you know we're always focusing on the little you know the cart with the with the letter in the front of it. And this is the letter that starts everything, which has the Zodiac code in it, the cryptography code that um, the supposed Zodiac killer would send to the San Francisco Chronicle, as well as two other newspapers where he said, crack this code, find out who I am. I killed these people, blah, blah, blah. Right. So this is how we're introduced to it. And we're introduced to the characters slowly, methodically, calculatedly and that's how david fincher films the, the the whole film it's very procedurally filmed it's not gruesome it's not it's very brutal the 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 murder scenes the serial killer murder scenes especially the stabbing scene um at the lake which comes second the second uh, murder scene is incredibly brutal but it's not gruesome and it's hard to describe because it's almost documentary style but it's not it's filmed so naturalistically that it comes across incredibly powerfully um and it's very 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 shocking i remember being sitting this sitting in the cinema and genuinely feeling a little bit sick and that doesn't happen to me yeah. very often um so yeah it's like i said it, they, they they david fincher tries to be as accurate as possible they're, they're basing the whole film on Ro robert grace smith's book and he's obviously the character of J jake gillenthal plays and the books were zodiac which was published in 1986 and zodiac unmasked which was produced uh which was published in 2002 and no one was ever caught no one was ever charged but there were suspects but every bit of evidence was circumstantial and this is the, the problem that a lot of people have with this film is that there's no denouement there's no ending there's no completion there's no you know 
there's no finding the bad guy the bad guy gets away with it right okay but what david fincher does so very well is he gives us a suspect and he gives us a red herring suspect about two-thirds of the way through the film and you think it's going one direction but it isn't and then we're actually thrown back to sort of the middle of the film and and then right at the end and we're talking a span of about 20 25 years here that robert graysmith's uh in the early 1980s uh it, this is why it loops so well to the beginning because at the very beginning sorry to be complicated with this because it, it's a very complicated film and you must look into the history of the zodiac killer if you really like enjoy the film that the the end of the film links to the beginning of the film as well and um it's incredibly tense um it's shocking it's brutal but not gruesome extremely realistic um you know he films it as if you know he's great at providing just enough distance as an audience to alleviate the sense of unease um especially that stab scene that I was talking about um and it's a film with three parts you've got a shocking beginning you've got the investigation in the middle and you've got the thrilling ending where we almost find out who they think did it and they kind of hint at it and it's brilliant at the end fantastic okay. movie masterpiece chris zodiac um i i do really like zodiac um i considered it for my list uh initially but for me i discounted it because it, the kind of the main focus is on the crimes and the and the artist who's kind of looking at them rather than i i just didn't feel it, it covered the the cop thing or the law enforcement enough also maybe because it's not solved and that as much as I love the film, it's very frustrating. My favourite line in the film is when one of the prime suspects is being interviewed by the police and he says, I'm not the Zodiac. Uh, even if I was, I wouldn't tell you. Um, <sighs> and uh, yeah, it's uh, it's a it's a good film, but it didn't didn't make my top 10, I'm afraid. Tiny, Zodiac? Um, I'm just going to correct myself. It was the wrong Spider-Man film. The, the riot wrote the uh, two amazing Spider-Man films. Oh, they okay. were all right. They were better than yeah. Spider-Man Three. Yeah, like which that. is Spider-Man Three is the worst, worst of the Spider-Man films. Let's be honest. <laughs> I, I wasn't a big fan of the, those two Spider-Man films uh, personally. Um, Zodiac was in my list, and it got yeah. okay. Um, so it's like sixth or seventh. So it's in my list. I couldn't agree with Matt Moore on pretty much every point he's made. <laughs> nice. Um, it's a brilliant film. It's full of, uh, yeah, drenched in atmosphere. And there's some genuinely unsettling, creepy scenes in it. Oh, yeah. People talking to each other. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, and um, I think, yes, it is a masterpiece. Um, uh, would be David Fincher's number one film if another of his films didn't exist. And just yes. to let you know, the Zodiac killer, apparently the police have tried to remove some of his DNA from one of the envelopes in May 2018 from the stamps that he licked and stuck to the the envelopes. And it was hoped, in the same way the Golden State Killer was found, they could bring out the due to DNA techniques advancing, they could find the killer. The results have been submitted in May 2018, but there's none been reported back as of yet. Five wow. years. 
Conspiracy. It is a conspiracy. Yeah. Well, well, I, I think, think Jack I, I, the Ripper I, I, was actually the Queen's surgeon. Yeah, Zodiac would be in a, a, such a brilliant film had there been a resolution, the mystery. Oh, but that yeah. makes it for me. The fact yeah, that yeah, that's that's what that makes it. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, it yeah. wouldn't be. It would be a brilliant film, but it wouldn't be quite as good. It's the mystery. Yeah. yeah. Of yeah. the whole thing, I believe. Like um, the just the side note: the main antagonist uh, in Dirty Harry is based on Zodiac. Scorpio. Yes, yeah. I love I love the links we're getting today. That's great. Nice, um, John. Just quickly, Zodiac. Uh, just quickly, I haven't. I actually haven't seen this one. This is one that slipped wow. my net. Oh, John! Oh, I have Amazon it. Prime. I will. You be, do. I will be fixing that. Yeah. Uh, just to let you know. His 340 letter symbol cipher has been cracked. Wow. Okay. And yet it still gives no idea as to who it is. Yeah, well, that's what they were saying. <laughs> that the, 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 one of the first lines that Robert Graysmith, uh, Jake Gillenthal's character, says is that someone says to him, um, uh, I wonder who will be the first person to crack these ciphers. And, and uh, the character of Robert Graysmith says, he's never going to give anything away. No. So, I mean, the, the first one was cracked. Uh, the first one was cracked fairly quickly, uh, but his last one, 340 symbols. So, and it's taken uh, nigh on, what, 50 years, to 51 years to crack it? So, yeah. Could also argue that, like, the film is also about the the men that were trying to find the killer and about their lives falling apart. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. 100%. That's actually the story, and is yeah. that they um, um, they're almost like victims themselves of the killer. Yeah, one hundred percent. Brilliant. That's, that's exactly right. Um, so now we're going to jump to Chris. Um, Chris, it's your number four. It's also John's number four. Hey. So go for it. Uh, so uh, this is my only two uh, thousands. Uh, film the rest are from the 90s um and uh my number four is the departed uh martin scorsese's uh, remake of infernal affairs um it's a fantastic uh film about a uh, south boston police department waging war on um an italian uh, sorry an irish uh, mob um, family who are kind of ruling uh, Boston and they uh, get a young cadet called Billy, played by Leonardo DiCaprio, to uh, infiltrate the gang unbeknownst to them. At the same time, um, the uh, mob boss, played by amazingly performance, uh, amazing performance by Jack Nicholson, um, gets uh, a young and also another young cadet um, to infiltrate uh, South Pol Boston Police Department. So these guys kind of grow up, go up the ranks um, simultaneously, and um, and then it's it's what happens throughout the film. I don't want to spoil it at all. Um, and I think it's it's peak. Um, Peak performances from the entire cast. They're kind of at their at their absolute peak. Um, terrifying performance from Jack Nicholson, and um, it won five Oscars, um, including Best Director. But that's a, another sort of token 
Oscar, in my opinion. Um, yeah, it's it's just uh, I I could watch it right now, and yeah, uh, great film, love it. It is a great film. It's a remake of uh, Infernal Affairs. Um, John, I got it wrong. It wasn't four. It was three on your list. So, John, why so high for The Departed? Um, because it's a damn good film, to be fair. Um, and I have to say that where where most of the um, acting is high, very high standard from Leonardo DiCaprio and Matt Damon and uh, Mark Wahlberg, and there you throw Jack Nicholson in, and you get a masterclass on how to act and how to be absolutely deranged and yet uh, it's it's and um, it's one of the best roles i've seen jack nicholson do since his uh since his since early since the 80s seriously it's like someone said jack you've read the character get on with it and they just let him do it and he he, cre- he he's a cr- deadly creepy dirty character and you do not see that uh on on screen that much um but he um but yeah it's just a very very well crafted um crime thriller of both police and criminals together definitely um it uh it had um a WTF moment that um, I don't think anybody saw coming, um, and you definitely need to uh, to watch that film to experience that. Tony, The Departed didn't make your list. Um, a fan? I've not seen it. Oh wow! Well, I've I've seen the original, Infernal Affairs. Yes, which is a great film. It was okay. <laughs> ah. um, um, I've not seen. I've not seen this. Oh, Tony, it's available to rent on Amazon and Apple. Um, so anybody who hasn't seen Departed can check it out there. Um, Matt? Tony, you should rent that straight away. Okay. No. <laughs> Good man. Um, much like Tony, uh, I, I'm a big fan of Asian cinema. I have been for many, 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 many years since the early 90s. Um, and I saw the Infernal Affairs trilogy of films before The Departed. And don't get me wrong, The Departed was my number six. Um, it's a fantastic movie, but I only put it down at number six. I put Train J above it because it was a remake. That's the only reason it would have been my number five. It's a fantastic movie. As John said, Jack Nicholson has never played such a character. He doesn't play that. He's played the Joker. The Joker was a horrible character, nasty. He was a bit of a bad guy. But this character he played it, he's never really played that kind of character before. And he was absolutely barnstormingly good in this. Um <clears throat> And the rest of it is good, is good, is good. I like it. It's not my favourite Scorsese movie, but Scorsese cannot do any wrong as far as I'm concerned. You know, even something like Silence from, from you know, the, the Japanese priest movie that he did uh, um, uh, about five or six years ago. It's still a great movie, but it's not one of his best, but it's still a barnstormingly good movie. And this just proves that he can put his, his you know, his, his talent um in his waning year you know he's he's looking forward to the killers of the flower moon uh, flower I'm, like that's that's just my number one film that i've wanted to see this year I, i'm trying to finish the book before the film comes out i've been reading that book and uh yeah i'm i'm very excited about killers of the flower yeah, moon very um, excited. I, uh, yeah it's a classic of... movie this is this part sorry yeah just to say uh, amazing movie and um 
uh, you should definitely, definitely, definitely watch it if you like twisty, uh, manipulative, Machiavellian type crime thrillers. Yes, yes. Um, so it falls under cop thrillers. It's very much an undercover movie, and I guess that's uh, the debate on it. Didn't it didn't make my list, which is why Donnie Brasco is higher. But it is a very, very um, well told undercover um, film. Um, John, we're back to you. And John, we're jumping all the way to your number two. Matt has already mentioned uh, Mr. Brian Cox. Um, so, John, what's your number two? <laughs> well, this is um, this is the original version uh, committed to film of a Thomas Harris book um, with uh, a um, ma- well, with a, basically with a sociopathic uh, psychologist as a, uh, as a um, uh, consultant, um, I have I have it's been a real toss up actually between the two versions of this film that have been committed, and okay. I've gone for the Michael Mann version. Yeah, it's called Red Dragon. Sorry, it's Manhunter. The book's called Red Dragon. The book is called Red Dragon. You can get the Ed, Ed Norton version uh, with done by Ridley Scott, and that's called Red Dragon. And that it wasn't was Ridley real, Scott. It's a it was, real... Uh, was it that was, Brett, um, Ratner? Brett, Ratner. It was Brett Ratner? Brett Ratner. Oh, man. Brett Ratner's best film by a million miles. But anyway. Ah, yeah. That was all right. <laughs> that was, films were yeah, all right. Yes, another, another person who's been cancelled. Yes. Um, <laughs> So anyway, <laughs> this has Brian Cox as Hannibal Lecter, spelt with uh, spelt with a CK, um, and uh, he is being sent messages uh, by a um, by a fledgling serial killer um, who's been nicknamed the uh, the Tooth Fairy uh, due to the fact that he tends to bite his victims. Uh, and leave uh, leave um, teeth like, marks, large large canine marks in in their in their body. Um, and Will Peterson uh, plays uh, William Peterson plays Will Graham, who has had uh, who is a who is brought back from retirement um, by uh, the chief of the FBI BAU um, due to the fact that. They need Hannibal Lecter, and Hannibal Lecter almost killed him uh, in one of his last uh, one of his last jobs. So um, it's it's creepy, it's stylish, it's neon, it's eighties. There's a um, there's a uh, I think it's a tiger. Um, <laughs> it is. Yeah, there's there's a tiger who get um, there's a the, the blind girl who falls in love with the serial killer, and the serial killer falls in love with her, and um, it's really it it's nasty and dirty in eighties, and I have to say I think I prefer that over the cleaner cinematic of the nineties two thousands um so um the only thing the only redeeming feature of red dragon over manhunter is that red dragon has the original book ending yeah that manhunter doesn't having said that i 
think I prefer, I just, I think it's really just the stylings. Over okay. The uh, Matt, Manhunter? I love Manhunter. I absolutely love Manhunter. And do, do you know what? I, I Just as John said, I love that grimy 80s noir style neon you know everything is framed in a certain way and it's purposefully put in the focus there's lots of deep focus there's there's not a lot of shallow focus there's all lot of deep focus stuff going on here and it's it's just it's just such a good film it's so so good and it, you know we're all kind of kids of our parents are all pretty much classed as baby boomers right so they're the boomers right we were all we're pretty much gen x's more or less maybe not you maybe not you paul but most of the rest of us might be, you know, even you, maybe 1982, 1983 might be class. Uh, I'm I don't just, know. You're I'm a bit later than that, are you? I'm okay, 84, okay. 84. Okay, almost on the edge. <laughs> on the so, edge. So for me, when we when I'm looking back, I'm looking back on movies, that I'll always look back and I'll go 10 years, 15 years behind me or 20 years behind me. And they'll be the immediate ones that I watch. Um, and then obviously if I get into movies and stuff, I'll go back into the, the the 50s, 40s and 30s and stuff like that. But but I went back after watching uh, Science of Lambs and I'd heard about this and I, I watched it on VHS when I was about 14. And I just, I was terrified, absolutely terrified. The, when um, Will Peters, William, William Peterson is, 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 is reenacting um the first murder that he goes to re-witness and he climbs up a tree and it's intercut with the video footage um of the killer it's just it terrified me as a kid absolutely terrified me um it's a wonderful movie it really really is very good and if you can get past the fact that it looks quite 80s then you know, you'll I'm be sorry, in for a Matt. treat. Sorry, quite 80s? Very 80s. <laughs> very on, Chris. 80s. Chris, Manhunter? Go on. Why <laughs> Manhunter is a brilliant film, but it is painfully 80s. Um, I, I'd, I'd say, I mean, it's, it's yeah, like Miami Vice. The command went from Miami <laughs> it Vice. It does have that, yeah, that kind of stuff. Uh, Manhunter. And uh, yeah, it's 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 a fantastic film. It, it's terrifying. Um, I've forgotten the the, the actor who plays um, Tom Noonan. Tom Noonan. Yeah. Terrifying. Yeah. Actually, I've just watched. I've uh, been catching up on a series called Blacklist, and basically, he's playing the Tooth Fairy, but not the Tooth Fairy. Yeah. In an episode, it's a, it's a great and series with really James Spader, but um, yeah. <laughs> and really, would we have Gil Grissom CSI without no, Manhunter? Probably not. No. Um, yeah, Tony Manhunter. Uh, yeah, I'm big fan of Manhunter. I like uh, Red Dragon though as well. I um, like Red Dragon. It's a good movie. movie. It's a good movie. I like it. it. It's just it, it's personal preference. I have. Yeah. Said. The thing is, I don't know if I've got a personal preference because both I like both of them. Um, I just. Um, I guess I just felt um, the sequel was superior. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> Hannibal Lecter. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I, Anthony Hopkins' uh, original. <laughs> I, I think Manhunter is a very good movie, but I did the thing of I saw Red Dragon before I saw Manhunter. So, um, and I think I prefer the ending of the original book, which is part of yeah, Red it's Dragon. Better. Which it's, is, it is better. Yeah, which is the only reason why I think I prefer Red Dragon um, over Manhunter, but that doesn't say that manhunter isn't a good film um and if anybody can find it um good luck to them because at the moment just manhunter buy it it's not available 
anywhere to rent or buy on any streaming service. You would have to go and get yourself a DVD of it, um, I'm afraid. Um, Dude, just go, go and buy it on eBay. Go and buy it yeah. on eBay for a couple of quid. Yeah. A couple of Man quid. Is, uh, yes. So, um, so yeah. Um, if, you, if you do want to watch the Red Dragon, though, it is on Amazon Prime for rent. There you go. So, yes. Um, is that the one with Gary Oldman? Where, is he no, that's Gary Hannibal. Hannibal. That's yes. Hannibal. Oh, okay. Yeah. Right. So, I get confused. <laughs> there's lo- lo- lots of uh, lots of there's uh, lots of Hannibal like to movies. There yeah. is. Um, so now um, we're going to jump to someone's number one because it's not on any of our lists. Ooh. Yikes! I know who this is. I'm sorry, Tony. It's not on anybody's lists, and it's your number one, Tony. Are you kidding? <laughs> I am, mate. Um, I'm afraid it's not made anybody's list, and it's your number one. Oh, you're so, kidding! <laughs> so go for it, Tony. Oh, <laughs> I can't I'm, believe it. Really There's no losers. Now. There's no losers here, Tony. <laughs> <laughs> Sticking with the San Francisco theme, and yes, based on the Scorpio. Yeah, Scorpio, the 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 serial killer, is based on the Zodiac killer. Oh yeah, Dirty Harry. I wrote, I wrote an essay on this as part of my film degree. Yes. Um, how it it's was a great film. Uh, great film. It's great. Directed by Don Siegel. Um, Alano Schifrin. If I pronounce his name yeah. correctly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who also did the music for Bullet. And Bullet, mm-hmm. yes, he did the music for Bullet. I mean, it's very product of its time. But I mean, um, yeah, um, Detective. Harry Callahan, or Dirty Harry, as he's otherwise known to his colleagues, recently lost his wife, always in a bad mood, hates everyone. I won't quote the <laughs> <laughs> lines that he said because it's very racist. Um, um, but he wants to do the well, he wants to get rid of crime in a city that seems overrun by it. Um, and um, I guess butts heads with um, his superiors and apparently Don Seagal is very liberal and got grief from uh, liberal people and left-leaning people for his film and um, Clint Eastwood is very conservative and you know Harry arguably very conservative but uh, Don Seagal said we never talked about politics we just wanted to make a great film which I found interesting. So Dirty Harry could be perhaps seen somewhat as a fascist, a fascist <laughs> to a degree. And um, I guess that's where they got the idea of Judge Dread from, to a degree. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> um, absolutely, almost, absolutely. Yeah, it almost plays like a Western uh, in many ways, Dirty Harry. You know, he's uh, the last <laughs> pop or, you know, cowboy in the, the town that'll do good, but it's in a, you know, a sprawling uh, city rather than uh, the Old West. Apparently, it was uh, to a degree um, made in reaction to the Miranda rights that were read to um, uh, criminals when they're arrested, or people that were arrested, not necessarily criminals, but when people are arrested, you know, you read them their Miranda rights. And Dirty Harry was made in a a reaction to that, where some people thought, um, you know, uh, hippies were taking over and. Um, you know, the whole kind of free love movement was uh, ruining society with drug use and um, crime escalating. So um, it's definitely one of um, Clint Eastwood's signature roles. Um, yeah. I think it's, 
an absolutely brilliant film. I think it still has a great deal of tension even today, you know, when he's running around the phone <clears throat> boxes and um, trying to get back the girl with the money. Um, and Andy Robinson or Andrew Robinson, depending on um, what you want to call him, he was the <laughs> the blueprint for every film serial killer that came after it. He is amazing in it. Um, and apparently... Um, uh, in the words of Quentin Tarantino, that he played the role so well, no one could see him as anything else. Yeah, uh, and he should have had other uh, opportunities. In the, he's he's in a lead in Hellraiser, um, but his other significant, uh, if you're a Star Trek fan, is uh, a role in Star Trek: Deep Space Nine, where he plays the role of Elam Garrick, a uh -huh. spy, and he is utterly, utterly brilliant in that as well. Just okay. like multiple levels to him he's he's a brilliant actor and should have should have done more um so yeah i'm all very disappointed in you that day harry yeah. has not made <laughs> no it hasn't made anybody's list matt dirty harry uh, i've lost track of my list from 10 to 5 to be honest but i think this was around number 8 so it was never not on my list of top 10 it was always uh, it's a fantastic movie I love it. And what I like most about it was the fact that uh, um, Clint Eastwood and Don Siegel created this sort of symbiosis uh, friendship where everything that we saw from Clint Eastwood going onwards was from Don Siegel. Their friendship created what Clint Eastwood made as movies from that point onwards. And, you know, he's actually credited as, as co-director um, on a lot of um databases as as co-director on dirty harry it's not just don siegel it's it's clint eastwood um it's a fantastic movie i always got confused with the killer i always thought he was somebody else i thought he was another guy who i will find his name who used to be in a lot of disney films in the in late 1960s and 1970s it's not the same guy I'm looking at the picture of the guy now it's not the same guy but um the guy who you're talking about tony andy robinson looks totally different like in dirty harry than he does on the picture on imdb for, from where he is and whatever i think it must be star trek <laughs> anyway going back to dirty harry it's a fantastic movie um it does have it probably has its bit of issues nowadays i think it's probably viewed as a little bit of uh you know, it may be cancelled these days, but you shouldn't do that because it's a fantastic movie. It's a pivotal movie, groundbreaking movie. Um, and, uh, you know, if we hadn't had Dirty Harry and its four sequels, I don't think Clint Eastwood would be where he is now. And God bless him. What is he, 92 now? And he's still making movies. He still is, yes. Um, Chris, Dirty Harry? It was my number six. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. <laughs> Uh, I I love this film and and its sequels. Um, Clint Eastwood, yeah, the character that he created is just uh, fantastic. And like Matt said, uh, it would be cancelled today. Um, and unfortunately, it's it's very dated now. Um, yeah. The but and products of his time, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Great film, but yeah, I'm, I'm sorry, Tony, I didn't make your day. That's okay. <laughs> that's okay. I mean, I think I think you can enjoy this film and be a left-leaning liberal such as myself. Yeah. You know, I don't think it um, overrides, you know, no. perhaps a fascist or you know, conservative right-leaning elements. You can still enjoy it. You know, yeah. 
as a as a film. He kicks ass, man. He kicks ass. That's all we need it's to very know. Very well written. He as kicks well. ass. Yeah. The, yeah. The, the, as I say, the tension. You know, like like running around. You know, from San Francisco to each phone, trying to um, get the cash to the Scorpio killer and save the girl, and then you know the bus. At the end, I love that bit. It, I love that. I'll say without <laughs> ruining it. Well, um, you can check it out on uh, renting on Amazon and Apple. John, um, oh, anything yeah, to yeah. add on um, Dirty Harry? Not really. Um, great film, um, product of its time. Um, yeah, I, I think. I think the thing about it is, you're you're actually at the end of the day, you're watching a policeman chasing down bad guys. Yep. It doesn't uh, actually matter. It doesn't actually matter who Harry Callahan it is. Yeah, he, he's, uh, he's stopping bad guys. I think the only thing that kept it off my list is that I, I haven't watched it in a very long time, uh, yeah. which I probably should rectify. But um, it's it's. I remember watching all of the movies, um, enjoying them all. Um, but yeah, it's just. Uh, I think it's that I haven't seen it in such a long time that um, it didn't live as long in the memory. Um, we've got four films left. There is a lot of crossover on uh, our top. Well, these last four. Um, and it's me first, um, me to start off this. Um, this film appeared on John's list at number four, Chris's list at number five, but my list at number two. Um, I absolutely love this film. It's in my top 10 movies of all time. Um, and it's at number two on this list. Um, it's Curtis Hansen's LA Confidential about two cops, one a dirty cop um, who will do anything to get the job done, and one cop who is um, the goody two-shoes um, and how their two roles intersect while trying to solve um, s- s- a plethora of crimes going on in Los Angeles in, I cannot remember what year it's set even, um, 1953. Um, LAPD is um, corrupt. It has um, Hollywood intertwined with it. And it is a neo-noir thriller um, where you you genuinely don't know who the bad guy is until the end. There are twists and turns throughout this movie. Um, it is a movie that made both Guy Pearce and um, Russell Crowe um, household names. They both star as the leads in this movie, and they're both excellent. Um, Kim Basinger or Basinger. Um, I don't even know if she knows how her surname is pronounced. Um, <laughs> is um, it, it is brilliant in this. Um, she plays a a, a, a model actress, um, and she plays the role subtly but very very well. Um, Danny DeVito is great. Um, it's a very good performance from Kevin Spacey. Um, one of his best, I think. One of his best, yes. And James Cromwell um, as the chief of police. Um, a star-studded, star-studded cast um, and a film that I think deserves um, everybody to have seen. It is in my top 10 movies of all time. Um, Tony, LA Confidential. Didn't make- uh, was in my top five got bumped to the same level as Zodiac, so just like six, six or seven, they kind of make, I just felt um, it's brilliant. And it, yep. it should be in my top five. I just, 
I, I wish my top five could have been a top seven because Zodiac yeah. and LA Confidential would have been in it. Yeah, uh, I couldn't agree more with you on everything that you've said. And yeah, Kim Bassinger in it. Just, oh my God, beautiful. <laughs> she is, she is. Um, uh, she won an Academy Award for her performance uh, as well. She did indeed, she did indeed. Um, and, uh, and I think, you know what, I think it's probably Russell Crowe's best performance. I know that might be controversial because of Gladiator, but I really thought he was great in this. And he, great, uh, yeah, I think I think they they are uh, the perfect as the... It is the time period as well, doesn't it? It, it really does. Um, it does Chris? Say, it, keeps, it keeps you engaged and keeps you guessing. Chris, it was uh, on your list at number five. I like yeah. Confidential. Uh, I I really like this film. Um, it's uh, yeah, I can't say anything more than you have. Uh, great performances. Um, great looking film as well. Looks really good. Uh, and yeah, and it the without giving anything away, it's uh, it's it's a lot very twisty and um surprising. There was a lot going on. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, uh, John, you had it at number four. Yeah, um, again, it's a beautiful looking film with a period specific plot, and um, you, it really, it really feels like this is how it was back in the forties and fifties. It really feels like a good old black and white. It feels like it should have been made in black and white back in the thirties and forties, yeah. uh, in, in the birth of Hollywood. Um, and I really love it. Kim Bassinger's playing a model who's been made to look like a big movie star. Yeah. Uh, Russell Crowe is beating people up because he's got rage <laughs> issues. Guy Pierce is um, the straight man who gets a little bendy. Um, yeah, I, 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 I actually like it because it's not it's not all grey. Yeah. Uh, Matt, it didn't make your list, but Ella Confidential. <laughs> Yeah, but it did though because it was in that top ten. It was in the top ten, and I, as as I said to you guys earlier, like uh, you know, any given Sunday, everything is interchangeable apart from yeah. my number one. And um, for many, 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 many years, LA Confidential was one of my favorite movies of of all time. And I've said this to you many times: there are films that I've overwatched, and for me, they just start to become a little bit kind of jaded, and and that's nothing to do with the film. And I said to you earlier that there are films on there that deserve to be higher. And that if I was to do it non-critically and objectively, then I would put them higher. But subjectively, it goes a little bit lower for me. Um, um, but I get James Cromwell, I think it's fantastic in it. And that moment, there's the moment in it where if you haven't seen it before, it's just it is pretty staggering. Um, <clears throat> obviously, I can't divulge that. Um, but the period uh, um, production design is stunning. And the other thing as well is that I, when I'd seen it, I, again, and I, I could mention a girlfriend at the same time. I went to the cinema to see it with a girlfriend <laughs> at the time. But it was a great year. 1997 was a great year. And I think we saw Romeo and Juliet. And then a couple of weeks later, we saw LA Confidential. Um, and I read the books immediately afterwards. I read all four books in the LA Quartet. Black Dahlia, Big Nowhere, LA Confidential and White Jazz. And once you've read them, the film doesn't quite live up to okay. the standards. Um, so that your friend looked like one of the actresses in this, or is that a different one? No, it wasn't this one. It wasn't. <laughs> I didn't mention it. It was actually, if you remember the girl from the beginning of Zodiac, there's a girl who gets mur murdered in the <laughs> beginning of Zodiac. 
She's got big uh, braces on. That was that's who I was talking about earlier on. Ladies and gentlemen, for those people at home playing the There you go. <laughs> um, so that is LA Confidential. And you can watch LA Confidential on Prime Video or on Disney Plus. Or on LA Tony Blu-ray player. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, it is, uh, but it's there out there on Disney Plus and on Prime Video to watch. Uh, Matt, we were there with you. Um, we're going to say there. Um, because I believe it's your number two, Matt, that you're leading off with. But um, it was also Chris's number two. You have matching number twos. Um, it was also Tony's number two. And it was my number four, I'm afraid. Um, so it made four people's lists. So, Matt, you like talking about Fincher. Carry on. I do. <laughs> I like David Fincher. He's very good. Uh, can I just start by going back to LA Confidential and saying that was the first DVD that I ever bought, and it was a flip DVD where you had to turn. It I had a flip DVD. Through. I remember flip it. DVD. Yes. Absolutely yeah. shocking. <laughs> uh, so anyway, going back to the number two, David Fincher again. This is David Fincher's masterpiece. Masterpiece Seven, nineteen ninety-five. Morgan Freeman, Brad Pitt, Gwyneth Paltrow. Um, can I say who the John Doe is? Should I say I mean, that? I mean, you've, you've probably seen it. Yeah. He, comes, it. he comes in at the end for a very long time. Uh, he does. Yeah, yeah, but you've got to yeah. see. You don't want to spoil. I won't spoil uh, the yeah. denouement uh, yeah. because it is a big twist. Um, it for me, it's the epitome of '90s cop thrillers. Um, uh, sort of. I don't know. It's for me. I saw it three times. I went to see it with 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 friends. I went to see it with with uh, my mum and dad were I was separated at that point, so I went to see it with the, both of them. Um, obviously separately. So I saw it three times in the course of about a month. And from from the, the opening titles with uh, um, Nine Inch Nails music play, soundtrack playing over the top with the scratchy and he's writing his diaries, the killer. And you're like, what the hell's going on? And it's just in your face. It's in your, in your, it's in your cortex. It's in your brain. And you're like, oh my God, what is going on? And, and the production design that Fincher um, and the, the cinematographer Darius Kionji um uh came up with is just phenomenal um the the color grading is just amazing you know being uh, a, a cameraman and a, you know being a, uh, an amateur photographer as well i like to mess around with colors and I like to see what what makes me feel emotional and everything in this movie makes me feel emotional um everything i look at is connected the lighting is is just phenomenal in it phenomenal and I was reading an article the other day about, because I've started to collect physical stuff again, physical media, having not done it since DVD. I skipped Blu-ray completely. I sold all my DVD stuff, sold all my VHS stuff way, way back when. Started collecting again in 4K. And David Fincher was in, it was an article about his movies, Fight Club and and uh, Seven and um, Alien 3 and, you know, um, uh, uh, what's the other one? Panic Room. He really struggles with 4K because when they regrade it and they take it from from the original uh, film master, um, the the lighting is so dark. When they when they grade it for HDR and they really you know that it's lifting the highlights, you're seeing a lot of stuff that you shouldn't really see. And he said he finds like bits of tape on the set, like like that's holding part of the set together, and they're really struggling bringing a lot of his films to 4K because it's so his early stuff is so gritty, so gritty. Um, Morgan Freeman probably is second best role after a Shawshank Redemption. Oh, he is just 
It's third. Is there another one? It's third. first. Uh, oh, really? Oh, really? Okay, yeah, yeah. It's close. It's very close. Very close. He he is absolutely. He's just like, he's, he is phenomenal in this. He's uh, you know a gumshoe from the nineteenth. It's like a Raymond Chandler novel. He's like you know uh, um, uh, like you'd see something from um, uh, Humphrey Bogart in the nineteen thirties. He's that kind of character, and that's what I love about the production design in this. It's so old fashioned. You know, that city, I haven't seen it for a few years. It's not a city, is it, that's named? A right? nameless city. That it's a nameless happens. city. Yeah. And it could be anywhere. And it could be any time period within a sort of 20 or 30 year period. That's how well it's filmed and how amazing the production design is and how well shot and composed. Or, I mean, I'm just thinking of it now. And I'm thinking of the chase scene when they, they go and... They, they they get a tip off and I, I don't want I'm trying not to spoil too much stuff I haven't really gone into the actual core story but if anyone's not seen seven by now then you know you should you should have done yeah um it's a serial killer movie there's some horrific murders and they are done uh as they find out and uh, the murders are being done uh, uh in the style of the seven uh, deadly sins right? Um, they get a tip off they go to uh, an apartment block and something happens there's a chase sequence and it goes on forever and it's so it's one of the most amazingly filmed sequences I think I've ever witnessed in film and there's a scene where Brad Pitt gets knocked out outside and there's a shot from above and he's below and the rain is pouring down and there's a gun pointed at Brad Pitt's head He's the junior detective here, right? I haven't gone into the, the rest of the story here because there's a lot more. But the gun, this is a cinematography point of view. Gun is being held to Brad Pitt's head and it's just the most incredible shot. And the killer is like in shadow and it's so close focus, but out of focus at the same time. It's like, how can you not see who the, the killer is in this frame shot? It's just so well shot. Um. And there's there's a lot of father son sort of uh, sort uh, relationship going on between Morgan Freeman, who's the elder statesman detective, who's outgoing. He wants to be rid of this horrible city, this horrible crime. He's, you know, he's disgusted by his filthy. He's, he's ruined his life. It's ruined his relationships. He doesn't have any children. He doesn't have, or if he did, they're gone. He doesn't have a wife. Um, he has no life. His life is ruined by the city. And he sees Brad Pitt coming in as this junior detective from another city coming in. And he wants to, ex you know, exceed at his job as a detective. And they hit this awful case, awful, horrible serial killer case. And he's like, you do not want to follow this case. It will ruin your life. But Brad Pitt just pursues it. And oh, this film is just absolutely phenomenal. And the ending cannot be beaten ever chris ever. it was number two on your list i know we're running short on time but chris sorry uh, yeah that's all right matt number two uh yeah it's uh, everything matt said i agree with um it's it's such a great film um uh, yeah the performances are all brilliant uh and that sucker punch at the end is is something else um if you've not watched it, please do. It's, it's on. Uh, it's on Prime Video, and it, it is a must-watch for anybody who's listened to this who hasn't seen Seven. Tony, you had it at number two as well. 
Um, yeah, like the boys have said, uh, it's a masterpiece. It's not normally the type of film I would like because it's not really a. Uh, there's not much hope in it. Although, weirdly, the last few lines of it are hopeful, I guess. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, it's in a it's in a, a city that constantly rains, and then when a major plot twist twist happens, it's brightly sunlit. The contrast is astonishing between the the grey rainy sea to the desert that's you know brightly lit um and um it is a gruesome film although not because you never see any of the murders actually happen it's only the no. end yeah so um yeah you kind of feel dirty after the film i think yeah but it is yeah. it is a a masterpiece of cinema it all had supposed to happen in in seven days isn't it so it's like I think, well, so. I think that ties that in with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, um, by, by the way, it was filmed on silver nitrate film, which is excruciatingly expensive, apparently. Um, wow. And it costs a lot, and they could they would never be able to film on that kind of film anymore. Wow. Um, I had it at number four, and I, I, I couldn't agree more. This is, um, it is Fincher's masterpiece. It is brilliant. Um, John, it didn't make your list, um, but I'm assuming you've seen seven. Close, but no, close, but no cigar. Um, the reason it's raining all the time, it's a continuity thing. They only had Brad Pitt for so long, so they, so they had to just make all the weather work. So nice. that's why it's raining all the time. And the desert scene was shot all in one go, which is why they start off in the morning and end up there in the evening and the shadows don't, don't match. Having said that, that is the only issue with the entire film. I still jump. In all the relevant places, yes. Still don't. I still don't like the fact that I need that many car car fresheners. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, that. Uh, that that said, it, it is Fincher's masterpiece. I don't think he's done it. I think he's done lots of things differently and well. I think this is his standout film. Indeed, um, Chris. Oh, go, Matt, quickly. Sorry, just just can I, um, I forgot what I was going to say now. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> we'll come back, right. to might, sorry, come back to me come back to me i remember yes. it. Um, yes, Paul. well uh chris it's your number one and matt's gonna like talking about it because it's his number one as well so go for it <laughs> okay uh i uh we're going back to 1991 um and sadly this is the only female-led um film on my list that, as well it is on your list and it's three uh, on that, tony's that we've nominated which is it a shame is, but yes um yeah i've uh it's signs of the lambs is my number one um as soon as we had nailed down this category that that was it that i didn't need any judging or thinking about it that was in stone um i i was lucky enough to see this on an airplane flying to america in 91 um and uh, I've been fascinated with it ever since. Um, it's the, the story rolls around a uh, newly graduated um, FBI cadet, Clarice Starling, played by Jodie Foster. Um, in uh, she she'd been acting for a very long time, but I think this was her first lead in a major motion picture as an maybe adult. the accused I, the don't know. I think yeah, yeah I think nineteen eighty eight yeah she had oh, yeah, okay, accused. Yeah. yeah and then and this, yeah. um and her uh, FBI boss uh th there's a, a serial killer targeting uh women um and uh she's assigned to try and 
find out who this is and track track him down. And she enlists the help of a an incarcerated um, a psychiatrist who evaluated him by the name of Hannibal Lecter, played by Anthony Hopkins. And uh, it's, I mean, uh, just that that performance is incredible. Um, I don't know, what is he on screen for like 15 minutes? Something like that, yeah. And he won an Oscar for it, quite <laughs> rightly. Uh, five Oscars in total that oh, film. Boy, actor, which is the main actor, wasn't it? Main actor. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's, yeah, it's infinitely quotable. Um, the scenes, every scene is iconic. Um, well, maybe not her running through the FBI training ground, but um, oh, just I, every, every scene I can, I can pitch John, John, Jonathan Dem, Demi. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Directed. And uh, I just, I love it. I love the film. And uh, it's Red Dragon is a, a brilliant prequel featuring Anthony Hopkins. Um, I strongly suggest you watch these two and avoid Hannibal like the plague if you have not seen it. And Hannibal Rising from the Hannibal Rising is even uh, worse. <laughs> um, but it, yeah, it's available everywhere: Prime, Google Play, Apple TV, YouTube. Yeah, you um, can rent it on all of those. So yeah, yes, please go and see should. it. It's amazing. It is. It's one of the few movies that have won all five of the big five Oscars: film, screenplay, actor, actress, and director. Um, it was number one for Matt as well. Matt? Yeah. Um, this film will never not cease to uh, scare me when I watch it. I just, I just, it it doesn't scare me anymore. It it just creeps me out. It just creeps, the, the atmosphere that's created, I think mainly to do, again, I think it's got a lot to do. Obviously, you can watch something many, many, many times and a performance will never change. It'll always be good, right? That performance will always be there. But the atmosphere that's created by the cinematography, the composition with the camera placement, the directorial choice of shots, the soundtrack, the editing, everything that's placed in that position at that time will always move you in a certain emotion. And whenever I watch Silence of the Lambs, I, Chris just mentioned the beginning where she's running it over the, the FBI um, uh, field uh, um, uh, assault course. Even that gets me because the music that's playing over it is so creepy it's so off-putting it's so you know it puts you on edge and i i what my mom rented i've said to this this to you guys before when we were talking about the the best oscars uh best film oscar from 1980 to whenever you know for, to to 2022 present. whenever it was yeah. yeah to present time and this was this came out on top right as, as it, did. As it was our number it one did. film that won best picture yeah yes. And I said then, like, my mom rented it for me, like, the year it came out on video, and she had no idea what it was about. And I was, what, 12, 13, and, and I didn't really understand the sexual overtones about it, about the serial killer. I didn't really understand that bit about the the female uh, suit that he's creating. I hope I'm not giving too much away if people haven't seen it. Um, but, again, it's another – Jonathan Demi – kind of didn't you know he was renowned for doing uh um musical documentaries for uh the talking heads he, you know he did he did an yeah. amazing which is an incredible uh a live documentary a bit like martin scorsese the last waltz but he did the talking heads um i can't remember exactly what it's called but live with talking heads from the 1984 i think it was but he did marry married with the mob 
everyone by storm. Um, it came out of nowhere. And I think a lot of it has to do with the collaboration. I think he worked really well with Jodie Foster and really well with Anthony Hopkins as, as an actor's director in this as well. And it's a culmination <laughs> of, of, of everything you know all the you know all the five oscars that they won you know you can you can rightly say that that was you know it was it was it was everything together made it a complete masterpiece and uh I'm, the the cinematography i always remember is tak fujimoto his name is and uh he's done quite a few other movies as well which i can't remember off the top of my head but they are quite famous and he went to film school with michael mann at the london film school in the same year as Michael Mann. And he did do one of Michael Mann's films, which I can't remember. But Tak Fujimoto, his cinematography was renowned for being this quite naturalistically filmed. He used film stock that that used a lot of natural light. And I do remember this, the, you know, the scenes in, in um, Science of the Lambs that struck me the most, I think, were um, the bit where um, Clarice, Jodie Foster, is going to look in the... Um, storage units that really creeps me out even today the way it's filmed and also the very ending with the the twist where she goes to speak to Hannibal Lecter when he's caged in the um the 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 county hall and they have the big monologue that he gives about the silence of the lambs uh it's just it's just phenomenal it will never it not is. be one of the greatest films of all time Tony number three for you well, I think Chris and Matt said it all, but it, yeah, just the perfect marriage of actors, writing and um, directing. Um, you know, there's a sense of dread all over that film, but a bit like Seven, I guess, in many ways that you can't quite escape. I guess they're spiritual sisters in a in a weird way. Um, yes. Yeah. Um, but um, I also think Anthony Hopkins' performance in this he never bettered in regards to how the character of Hannibal Lecter. No. Now, even in Red Dragon, he was a tiny bit more pan pantomime yeah. than he was in this, you know. Yeah. And even when he didn't really do anything, uh, just stood there, it was like, you didn't want to screw with this guy <laughs> because you'd be dead. And he was caged the entire time. He's caged. He's behind Pretty bars. Much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what a final line in this movie as well! What an incredible final line! When you get right to the end of the movie, you just you're not lost at all. You're given this amazing ending line. It's just like phenomenal. It is John. It didn't make your list. It was number three on mine. But John, um, you liked one Hannibal movie more than this one, clearly. Yeah, I know. It it's good. Um, I just I don't know. I just don't think it's imprinted as. I don't think it's imprinted as much. Okay. Um, because I, I saw the film, I read the books, um, Thomas Harris again, um, I've read, I've read the books and I don't know, this just doesn't quite imprint as hard as Manhunter did. Okay. Okay. I had it at number three and I think it is phenomenal. Uh, I can agree more, um, with you guys. It is, it is a masterpiece. Um, there was two films higher. And those two films are in my personal top 10 movies of all time. And it's the number one movie now. We've There's only one film that all five of us had on our list. Tony had it at five. Chris and Matt had it at three. And me and John had it at number one. Um, John, what is Can it? Can you feel it? Can you feel <laughs> it? Can you feel the heat? 
Um, heat, again, this, this kind of cemented the whole idea of Michael Mann understanding the whole idea of uh, a crime uh, a crime saga from both sides um this this is um it's a case based in la where um neil mccauley runs a crew who steal anything of worth they buy their plans from tom noonan who that and who works out all the details they go and do them uh him tom sizemore and uh val kilner um they take on a rookie guy they take on a new guy for the latest job and he ends up killing one of the guy one of the uh armored card guards at which point they have to kill them all and then they disappear with all the money and al pacino is assigned the case it turns out that he's been chasing this crew for a very long time him with West Studi and the rest of his crew and it's really it's as much as as with Michael Mann as much as it's a criminal drama these are character studies this is a three-hour film where you get to understand every single character's motivations from uh Tom uh they even the incidental characters have got motivation to do what they're going to do and um Dennis Haysbert is yep. released from prison he goes to work as a short order cook the guy is the guy who's employing him is ripping him off because he's on parole because he's uh trying to go straight because he's trying to make a living the guy's taking half his paycheck and uh treating them like rubbish and one one day they need they need a new driver they need a new driver because Danny Trejo can't can't do the job so he goes yeah okay at which point a huge gun battle takes place in the middle of LA um and um yeah and it's it it just it just seems to sum up police life and criminal life uh all in one film it does um it is absolutely brilliant chris i know you need to shoot off so chris it was your number 3 hey uh yeah it's um what what a film and what a two central performances. I, arguably, Pacino and De Niro at their best, and sitting them down together in the cafe and that that's that scene is just electrifying. Uh, when they're squaring off to each other, um, and uh, I and the the gun battle um, is still used as training for for the the police in the states. And uh, yeah, it's it's such a cool looking film, uh, and beautifully shot. Uh, uh, yeah, what what more can I say? I know the, the the gun battle is I think the best gun battle ever put to fi- uh, to film. Um, Val Kilmer had to train, and it is it specifically how apparently how Val Kilmer reloads his rifle is the technique that they use for um the police to reload their guns matt you had it at number three i um, did and this is the one that i steer yeah, this is the one that i said um in in a in a practical sense in, a, in an objective world this would be number one for me but um you know my emotions put other films above it but uh, this is just masterclass masterclass in cops 
robbers. That's all it, it all needs to be said, really. And it didn't is. they didn't they uh, expend the most amount of blanks in any movie? Like in, the, I, in that gun battle, yeah, you could never do that now, especially with all that's that happened with yeah, recently. Um, yes, recently they would yeah. never be able to do that nowadays. Yeah, well, yeah. apparently it was it was a Sunday in the business district, and they every take they were given a certain amount of bullets. Wow, and so they had there was a re, it was pretty much a real gun battle without killing anybody. And like, like credit to the sound design as well. I mean, that sound design in that particular sequence yeah. is phenomenal. It is. Tony, it made your list only at number five, but... Um, yeah, I, guess... um, I mean, it's great. It's a fantastic film. Um, and I would say this was probably interchangeable with Zodiac and LA Confidential for me. Um, maybe a tiny bit cold, but it is a fantastic film based on... It is a remake of LA Takedown. Uh, again, made by Michael Mann. Um yeah, they had Andy McNabb, the SAS guy, do all their. Uh, Did chorus. they? Was chorus. it? I didn't know that. Wow, wow. I didn't know that. Yeah, he was on set, and that's he taught them how to reload and do it as they would. Apparently, Val Kilmer was really a really good shot with a sniper's rifle. Yes, I heard that as well. Yeah, uh, yeah, I guess it is. Uh, the ensemble cast is is brilliant. Obviously, twenty three. Odd years after Al Pacino and Robert De Niro starred in The Godfather Part Two, but never shared a scene together because they were no. in different time frames. Um, even though they're not in, they don't share the scene uh, scenes very much in this film. Um, they're kind of it's an almost an um, exploration of loneliness because they're very lonely characters. Kind of yeah. they're only happy when. They're chasing each other or chasing the bad guys or within each other's company. In fact, mm. most significant relationship in their lives is in that coffee shop with each other. Yeah. Not their wives, not their girlfriends, not their loved ones. Um, they're almost on a path to self-destruction in many ways. And apparently Al Pacino played his character, uh, the cop, uh, as though he was always on coke and needed to keep, keep going. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, which I thought was an intriguing uh, aspect to it. But um, in the end, no matter who wins, they kind of both lose because one's going to be dead and one's going to be um, trapped in an uh, endless cycle of uh, their life, either robbing, continually robbing things or continually chasing bad guys and never really having a life. No. Um, and uh, well, I, I think it's it's one of the greatest films ever made. Um, I think anybody who hasn't seen Heat should check it out. Um, arguably the two greatest actors that have ever lived. And that debate has always raged on. And you can, I think everybody who hopefully is listening to this could find this because it's on Netflix, it's on Disney Plus, and it's on Amazon Prime. It's available on all of them. Hopefully someone is subscribed to at least one of those services. Um, please go and watch Heat. Um, and that is our 12 movies that we've broken down today from everybody's lists um and this is how it broke down at number five was the departed at number four was la confidential and number three was seven at number two and only just was silence of the lambs but the number one movie for cop thrillers is heat Um, and that is it for this week's episode, guys. Um, 
Thank you very much, Tony, for cop thrillers. I think there this is a topic that has so many movies that everybody could enjoy. Um, there was just 12 there that um, I think we've highlighted. Um, anything to sign off, Tony? Um, well, I, you know what? As we were talking about it, I was thinking, would you count in the line of fire as a cop thriller? He's a Secret Service agent. I would. Secret I Service, would. Yes. yeah. I would. So yes. Now I wish I'd included it because well, I love that film. Yeah, we've had, a treasury, we've had a treasury agent. We've had uh, FBI. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I think, think any law enforcement or protective custody. I kind mean, of you, you kind of, yeah, cop is yeah, a generic I mean, term. In, I know in the line police, of fire would, yeah. would have perhaps... It would definitely be in my top eight, actually. Yeah. I can't believe it bypassed me by. I, I, uh, so I'm going to tell an anecdote about that. I was outside work and um, I was walking by um, a building and I saw John Malkovich and yeah. I was like, I could not think of any movies in my brain except for two and I decided I couldn't walk up to John Malkovich and say, I really loved you playing Cyrus the Virus. And I couldn't <laughs> go up to you and say that Whoa. I really loved you playing John Malkovich in being John Malkovich, because they were the only two <laughs> roles that I could think of. So I walked past John Malkovich and wish I could have thought of in the line of fire at the time. <laughs> Got it. Got it. Um, but yeah, no, it is a great I love film. it when that happens. I did that same thing. <laughs> Same thing, and it was um, uh, uh, what's his name? The guy oh, I can't even remember his name. Or he was the bad guy in Casino Royale. Uh, Mads Mikkelsen. Mads Mikkelsen, yes. Yeah, who, it was about who, who will tie it up? Played Hannibal Lecter very well. Yes, in the TV in a, series. That TV series is absolutely brilliant. It is absolutely brilliant. It is a great, yeah, brilliant. That's series. a recommendation for anybody who's who's thinking of going back to Hannibal Lecter. Watch the TV series, three series, wasn't there? Three series. Yeah, yeah. yeah. About yeah really, really good. They've they've oh, always yes. been chatting about making another. Yeah, yeah. They the cast oh, really? the crew. Yeah, they would because there was still one more book to do. They they essentially covered oh, the books, oh. and there was still another book to do, or bits of a book anyway. So because uh, we we just... left out. Sorry, John, go on. I was just going to say quickly in the line of fire, you'll probably catch that on ITVX. Wow! Um, because it's been on recently. Huh? Good movie, yeah. Good movie. We, we missed the like the 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 sixties one in the heat of the night. Yes. Yes. Yeah, that's a, also a very good movie. Um, uh, Touch of Evil. You could say Touch of Evil was good. That's got Orson Welles as a detective yeah. in it as well. That is uh, looking to investigate some nasty goings on. Uh, if you want um, Gene Hackman. Gene Hackman Gene in uh, Mississippi Burning. Oh, that's brilliant. That was good a movie. Good movie. Guy brilliant film. In the Deep South. Yes. French Connection is. is worth watching. Yes. You know, if you're you into movies, you should definitely watch it. On Disney Plus. I uh, I rewatched it for this. So um, it didn't make my list, but um, yeah, it was one that I felt I needed to watch again. Yeah. Um, thank you very much for joining us, Matt. Thank you. And Enjoyed John, thank what you have we got much. to tell everybody? Um, where where can they find us? Right, ladies and gentlemen, uh, you may find us on Facebook, on Instagram, on Threads, on X, but nobody checks it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, you will find us at Five on Film on any of those, uh, or at Five on Film Podcasts at Gmail dot com. Uh, come, let us know. Come, make suggestions for. Five on film podcast bingo because obviously we've done enough of these. We need to know. We need to know. 
Indeed. Um, yes, uh, hit us up on any of those socials. It'd be good to chat with people. And I hope you've enjoyed this one and found um, some cop thrillers for recommendations. Um, we'll listen to you soon. Cheerio. Cheerio. Think I have an old friend for lunch. Oh, that was the line. That was the line. That was the line. Shame I'm going to cut off that you. Was line. That was break. the line. I screwed it up. Uh, oh, close again. enough. Close enough. All views expressed in this podcast are that of the individual and do not represent the views of any entity whatsoever which they have been or will be affiliated with in the future.